0: Lord. Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. We're going to go into the word of the Lord tonight. And uh, we thank God for his many blessings. Amen. Uh, And I, I will ask you to turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 44. This is where we'll begin tonight. From the book of Genesis, the 44th chapter and verse 1. And Joseph commanded the steward of his house saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. And when they were gone out of the city... And not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward up, Follow after the men. And when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have you rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? You have done evil in so doing. He overtook them. He spake unto them these same words. They said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words, God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold, the money which we found in our sack's mouths we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. And he said, Now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant. You shall be blameless. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground, Opened every man his sack and searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. The cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I just want to talk for a little while about the cup. This is an amazing uh, passage of scripture uh, in the word of the Lord. And and, uh, carries with it tremendous, uh, tremendous Uh, connotation uh, concerning the the life of Christ you also see uh, hints of the fall of man uh, represented in this uh, passage of Scripture and uh, and so I want to take a little while and just kind of delve into some of that and bring out a spiritual truth that I believe will help us in our walks with the Lord The cup, Jesus spoke of the cup. Uh, Not only did he say uh, to the Lord in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, let this cup pass from me. He said, if this cup can pass from me, then I would like for that to be the case. I would like for that cup to pass from me. Now, he was referring to the cup of suffering the cup of suffering, that he was about to undergo and endure on the cross. And his prayer was simply, if I don't have to go through it, then I would like to circumvent it. And the fact of the matter concerning the life of Christ was that he absolutely would have to go through it. It was going to be necessary to everything he came to accomplish on the earth. And the cup of the scriptures, it, 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 it routinely surfaces and resurfaces throughout the scriptures. And it does carry with it a connection to the idea of suffering. That's why Jesus so vehemently prayed to the point that he, he was perspiring. And it was sweat as, as though it were great drops of blood that fell from his face now that could have either been blood that fell from his face there is a medical condition uh, to suggest that that could have been the case or it could be that the the sweat was so profuse that it rolled off of his face as though he were bleeding either way the point is that the perspiration was so severe connected to jesus dread about the cross that was coming His way. Hebrews chapter 12 says that we look unto Jesus in verses 1 and 2, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross while despising the shame so make no mistake about it while he embraced the cross he despised every ounce of shame that was associated with that cross he did that ladies and gentlemen for you and I he didn't he didn't do that for himself he did that for you and I and and he suffered he suffered willingly and was obedient unto death even the death of the cross. And so so there is a cup of the Lord. And later the apostle Paul taught the church that that when Jesus brought his disciples to what has become known as the Last Supper and he sat down with them and and took bread with them and he broke the bread and he said, this bread represents my body which was pierced for you. This bread represents represents my body which was broken at the cross on your behalf and every time you come together to eat of the bread together and we call it communion i want you to remember the sacrifice i made in my natural body so when we take communion when we take the bread and i'll go further i believe it's every time we sit down with a knife and fork i believe it's every time we eat we should do so in remembrance of the brokenness of the body of Jesus Christ. There's something special that happens when people eat together. There's something very special that happens when a person sits down with another person and they, they share bread together and they eat together. Uh, it, it, there is a connection that can occur in that, in that breaking of bread that breaking of bread is to always remind us of the sacrifices Jesus made on our behalf at the cross of Calvary. And, and so we do it in ritual or in ceremony rather in, form, in the form of communion. But we, really, every time we eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner we should recognize that this food represents his body which was broken. And just as this food is going to give my natural body fuel And energy for the day, so did the life of Jesus Christ give my soul and my spirit and my heart and my mind the fuel that it needs to continue on. Amen. Amen. So there's a beautiful parallel in all of that. Uh, Then he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the cup of the New Testament. And he said, this cup represents my blood. It represents my blood which was shed for you. So when you take of this cup and when we take of the cup of communion, we are to remember the blood of Jesus Christ which was shed on our behalf. And again, I believe that that has to do with every time that we, that we hydrate our bodies. That we need to do so with the, with the recognition. That the blood of Jesus Christ is what gives our soul and spirit the sustenance that it needs to, to continue on. You know, they say you can go 40 days without food. They say you can go four days without water. Don't try it, but they say you can do it. And they say you can go, you can't, you can, the furthest without oxygen that you can go is four minutes. So you have to have food, you have to have water, and you have to have air. This is all significant to the way we were created and the way we interact with God. Our spirit needs that in a, in a spiritual sense. And so the blood of Jesus Christ is necessary to the thriving of, of mankind. This is why... The Bible says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins were as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. You need to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And every time you put a bottle of water to your lips and hydrate your natural body, you think about the fact that he shed his blood so your sins could be washed away. And there's an infusion of faith that comes from that understanding. And it hydrates your spirit the way water would hydrate your body. And so Jesus said this cup is to be taken in remembrance of the sacrifice I made and in remembrance of the blood that I shed and I did it for you. I did it on your behalf. The cup, ladies and gentlemen, represents the suffering of Jesus Christ. That's what the cup represents. It represents the suffering of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, I believe even in Psalm 23 that that cup referenced in Psalm 23 is actually a reference to the suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross. It was no doubt messianic in tone. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. The the, the, the life of Christ is broken up into three parts, really. A, A year of inauguration, those three years. They speak of it as a year of inauguration, the year that he was being introduced to to people through his ministry and then a year of popularity where he was being heralded by people and then there was a year of rejection where he was beginning the decline into being rejected and then ultimately he was crucified you see that represented in psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i shall not want jesus even made reference to the fact that i don't have a place to lay my head but i'm gonna be all right I don't have, I don't know where my next meal's going to come from, but, but I'm going to be all right. And that's what Psalm 23 1 embodies the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures he leadeth me beside still waters he restoreth my soul he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake these are all references to the life of jesus christ that was to come and how jesus was led down the paths of righteousness down the paths of prophetic fulfillment soul being restored of course it relates to us but it relates to him first he's the firstborn among many brethren then verse 4 appears yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death that's of course a reference to to gethsemane i will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. This is his crucifixion. This is when the enemies have rallied around him. David is experiencing it in his life. But as David experiences it in his life and declares it through the 23rd Psalm, he is speaking prophetically concerning the life of Christ that is to come. And so, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. That is, I believe, a reference even to the suffering of Jesus that he would experience upon the cross. That cup that he was not able to to move away from overflowed with suffering upon the cross of Calvary. And so, of course, ultimately it doesn't end with suffering. It never does end with suffering it always ends with, with the good and with God receiving the glory and the glory of the Lord prevailing. So he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I'm coming tonight to speak to you concerning the fact that we all have a cup in our life. We all have a cup that we must, that we must partake of and, and, and this cup, sometimes we don't necessarily want to partake of it uh, because of the fact that, that what's inside of it uh, disagrees with us, disagrees with our flesh. Can I get a witness from somebody who knows what it's like to have something in your life you wish was different, but it's not different? Something in your life you, you wish this wasn't the way that it is, but, but it is the way that it is? It's a cup that is introduced into your life. And maybe, maybe you can look at it and see where you played a part in bringing it into your life. And so you now live with that result. Or maybe it's something you had nothing to do with. And you have lived your whole life with this cup in your life. And you don't know uh, what you did to deserve it, if you did anything to deserve it. Why it has to be this way, and I've come to bring to you the word of the Lord to tell you don't resent the cup that's in your life. Don't resent the, the circumstances that are in your life because ultimately those things are going to allow you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and you're going to have a relationship with, with God. So now here, let me, let, me, let me bring us back to the story of Joseph this story of joseph has so many uh profound connections to both the fall of man and to the crucifixion of jesus christ and to the revelation of god in christ Uh, the, the the whole concept of joseph being betrayed by his brethren the the atrocity that was joseph being betrayed by his brethren is akin to the way that man fell in the garden Uh, This was a terrible, terrible betrayal. It was a horrible sin that occurred here. Joseph was a kid who happened uh, happened to be adored by his father. Now, that wasn't his fault, and it wasn't his brother's fault. Joseph was the firstborn son of Rachel, who was Jacob's first love. Now, if you know the account, you might know that Jacob married Rachel, intended to marry Rachel, but was deceived by his father-in-law to marry Leah, her older sister, who he did not love. And, And so he was deceived. He entered into this marriage covenant with Leah, and they began to have children. He had to work seven years for Rachel, seven more years. He did marry Rachel. Rachel could not have children. Jacob had several children with Leah. His first four were with Leah. Then he had children with the handmaid of Rachel, children with the handmaid of Leah, children now with Leah again until finally his 11th and 12th children were with Rachel. Joseph represented all that Jacob ever wanted in life. Rachel died when benjamin was born and so so now joseph is growing up and and joseph is and benjamin are all that jacob has to connect him back to rachel and so he dotes on joseph and joseph is preferred it's it's not joseph's fault and it's not his brother's fault and it's not leah's fault and it's not rachel's fault it's within jacob a well of love for rachel and so he gives to Joseph a coat of many colors. Now, now that may not sound like a lot to us because we can run down to wherever, Kenwood Town Center and go get a coat of many colors. But, but you talk about back in, 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 in Genesis, in the book of Genesis, that was, that was some kind of a task to lay out those strips of leather and then, and then dye each strip of leather and to create this, this masterful, I mean, the, the, the majority of, of, of pieces of clothing that people had were, if, if any of them had color, it usually was one color, and that was pretty impressive. But to take the time to create a coat of many colors, this was an amazing act of affection from Jacob, to Joseph and his brothers knew it Joseph's brothers knew that they recognized that this was an amazing act of affection and so they they uh, became very jealous not only were they jealous of his relationship with Joseph but then Joseph started receiving dreams from the Lord and the dreams from the Lord were just a little disappointing you know, they, they had all of them subservient and it had Joseph exalted. And they became jealous. They became envious. You really got to be careful with envy. In fact, I, I'll say it more strongly than that. You need to flee envy. You need to run from envy. You need to put envy on the altar and give it to God. You know why? Because God, God places his hand of favor on people. He just does. Now, he's not a respecter of persons. But in his providential prerogative, he looks upon a person. Sometimes he can pull a blessing from multiple generations back, secured by an ancestor, and and say, okay, I'm putting it on his descendant, this one. And, And it could be your peer. And you wonder why they got blessed and you didn't. And if you give way to envy, you'll be frustrated for the rest of your life of why God seemed to put His favor upon them and and you think that He didn't put His favor upon you. First of all, don't, don't discount the ways that God has placed His favor upon you. When you look at how God has favored other people and it makes you envious, you need to immediately begin counting your blessings. Because if you'll begin counting your blessings, you'll realize you're so blessed. You have been abundantly favored of the Lord. And, 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 and if you'll rejoice with people who rejoice and celebrate the favor of God in their life, instead of being envious of the favor of God in their life, guess what? The favor of God will get on you. God honors that. He honors it. He honors it when we celebrate his favor in another person's life. Instead of saying, well, they got opportunity and I didn't get opportunity. You need to stand back in awe of how God has placed his favor upon them. Give God praise for what he's doing in their life. Encourage them as God has favored them. And that's when God begins to pour his honor and favor upon your life. He does not respect persons, but he does respect principle. And if we will honor what God has honored, bless what God has blessed, favor what God has favored, then we're in line with God. But they didn't do that. Not Joseph's brothers. They, instead of rejoicing with Joseph's unique favor from God, his unique connection to Jacob, they became envious of it. And they began to murmur about it and and, and begin to say things like, who does he think he is? And, And let me tell you something, folks. If God puts his favor on somebody and you have a problem with it, you're going to have a problem for the rest of your life. Because God's not going to lift his favor from somebody just because you have a problem with it. He's not going to do it. And so you, you, you had got to, you've got to come to Jesus moment here. Where you're either going to celebrate what the Lord has done or you're just going to live miserable, bitter, and angry at God. And good luck with that. They were upset. They didn't, have, they didn't like it, they, they had a problem with it. And, and it turned to the point where, where they actually became enraged with anger. The envy turned to anger, it always does. And, and uh, Joseph was sent by his father to check on them. And when he did, they weren't where Jacob said they were, where Jacob had sent them. And see, this is what happens with envy. We receive direction from the father, and we don't do what the father says. See, the father had sent them to Shechem. But they left Shechem and they went to Dothan. They were supposed to be in Shechem. That's where Jacob said go. But because of envy, they lost confidence in the father's direction and decided to go out on their own and they went to a place called Dothan. That's what envy will do. You get into the dangerous, luciferic, I'll call it, luciferic way of thinking to where you think God apparently doesn't know how to be God. Because he blessed them when he should have been blessing me. So I'm not gonna trust him when he tells me to do this. I'm gonna do that instead. Now you are, you are, you're traveling the road of people like Cain, people like Judas Iscariot, people like Lucifer. I mean, folks, come on. You gotta get off that path, get on the straight and narrow. But they said, we don't trust what the father said. And they decide to go to Dothan instead of Shechem. So Joseph goes to Shechem where the father had sent them. And they're not there. And Joseph doesn't have, you know, iPhone. He can't just text them. And where are you guys at? I've been waiting here for 45 minutes. Where are you? No, no, he's got to go look for them. So he finds them finally in Dothan and and happens upon them. And and they're they're talking about him. And he, he, he arrives at where they are and, and little does he know that as they see him from a ways off they begin conspiring against him. And he arrives at where they are they conspired against him. They, they, they were going to kill him but, but, but then he was saved from the idea of murder and they decided to sell him into slavery and they thought surely he'll be killed somewhere in that process. So when he came, instead of being well-received by his brothers, he was captured, cast down. And here we see a, a reflection both of the fall of man and of the betrayal of Jesus Christ. We see the atrocious transgression of, of what man is capable of doing. It was violent. It was egregious. And it caused a rift that, that you and I can't even fully imagine. He was cast down, sold into slavery, and he lives his life, a, a dr- the life of a dreamer, the life of a visionary, the life of a man who was endued by God with great ideas and great things in store. And none of them were coming to fruition because he's, he's going through this journey of life. He gets on the other side of his life journey, and now he has been exalted by the Lord and... and, and his dreams are being fulfilled he is being exalted just as his dreams suggest that he would be exalted not in the way that he expected but certainly it is being fulfilled and and while he's being exalted and and real quick let me just say this god can give you a dream and in the dream you can see yourself being exalted but it will never come to pass the way you think it will come to pass and this is why because the dream isn't about you being exalted. You'll be exalted. But it's not about you being exalted. The dream is about others being served by you. And that is why you'll be exalted. And the only way God can trust you to serve others in and from an exalted position is if you suffer. If you suffer to the point that it strips you Of all of your selfishness. And suffering will strip you of all of your selfishness if you'll allow it. You'll either get bitter or better. It's up to you. So so Joseph goes through this unimaginable suffering. False accusation, Sold into slavery. It, It was human trafficking. And he became a victim of it. And Joseph is is now falsely accused. He's serving time in prison for a crime he did not commit. He is exalted ultimately because not only is he a dreamer, but the suffering transformed him from a dreamer to an interpreter of dreams. See, the suffering will take you into deeper dimensions of ministry. So now he's an interpreter of dreams. He's exalted by virtue of that. He has interpreted the dream of Pharaoh... By the the foreknowledge of God, he has been given a, a masterful plan for handling a worldwide famine. You talk about anointed of God. A worldwide famine. And God anointed the mind of this young man to know how to prepare for it, how to be ready, not just to save Egypt, but to save mankind. And he did it, he put it into action, he executed well. And here came from the land of Canaan his own brothers, the one who, ones who, who had betrayed him. But they came, not all of them. They purposely left Benjamin. Remember, there were two sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph was Jacob's connection to Rachel. And then he was told that Joseph was killed by a violent beast, a violent attack from a beast. That's what the brothers who sold him into slavery did. They slew a beast and painted the blood of the beast upon his coat of many colors. Ripped the coat, took it back to the father and said, look, a beast got him. We're so sorry, dad. Now, here's what you have to understand. That was evidence for Jacob. It was pretty convincing evidence. A torn coat with blood on it, it can only mean one thing. Or, or can it? See, some of you believe that some things have happened in your life and that it can only mean one thing. And the reason you believe it can only mean one thing is because a deceiver has convinced you it can only mean one thing. But I want you to know that it, 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 it doesn't just have to mean one thing. Joseph is alive and well no matter what the enemy has told you. No matter what the deceiver has deceived you into believing he's alive and he's doing all right and you're gonna meet him again no matter how convincing the evidence regardless of how torn the coat that you spent time preparing and, and crafting and so he's over here convinced and these brothers come walking into Egypt Now, they did not bring Benjamin. And the reason they didn't bring Benjamin was because they were having a hard enough time living with themselves. For having broken their father's heart. Selling his his beloved Joseph into slavery. And what that did to their father put them through so much personal turmoil. And they, they would not bring Benjamin and Jacob wouldn't let them bring Benjamin I can't lose Benjamin too he literally is my last connection to Rachel so they show up they don't have Benjamin Joseph now he's gone through a lot since they last saw him he looks Egyptian he sounds Egyptian he walks like an Egyptian (laughs) talks like an Egyptian (laughs) amen and he said that to them he's he's Egyptian and, and they just walk in and, and they they you know they're they they're, they're sent through the prompts to the right department. We just need corn. We need we need food. We need grain. And so, okay, you have to pardon us. Uh, you have to wait here, and we'll get a hold of such and such department. And they'll send you. In. So they're they're taken through the process until they finally arrive to Joseph who they have no clue that it's him they think he did die they've told a lie so much they believe the lie they told they're convinced he's probably somewhere out there dead he's not dead you can't kill what God has anointed the devil can't kill what God has anointed so Joseph is alive he's doing well he is the governor of Egypt He, he is the second in command Egypt and when he looks out over his brethren the the Bible says he had to leave the room he had to leave the room and get his composure can you even imagine the the confluence of emotion the feelings that, that that overtook him in that moment to see these these people who were his brothers who he should have been able to trust, who he should have been able to confide in and, and, and know that they would have his back. And they didn't, not only did they not have his back, but they 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 stabbed him in the back so severely. Oh, they had his back all right. They stabbed him in the back. They they sold him down the river. And 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 now here they are, and they're in need of food and provision. I mean, the power of their life is in his hand. He could could turn them away or he could have them executed. Or he could open up his hand to them with love. He gets to make the choice right now. He had to go find some time to get alone with God. He comes back to them. He he, he did this. He had some fun with it. He He set them in a... A a, a little seating arrangement to where they were to where they were placed in the order of their age they couldn't they thought that well that's quite ironic that he would know this information about us he told them listen he said I want you you're not all here are you is there anybody else that I need to be seeing because he wanted to see Benjamin he really wanted to know if Benjamin was okay he wanted to see his father And so as the story unfolds, as the account unfolds, they go back to Jacob and they say, he is asking for Benjamin. And Jacob said, you can't have Benjamin. He kept other brothers to ensure that they would bring Benjamin back. And and, and they did bring Benjamin back. Now Joseph loved Benjamin. And and, And Joseph wanted to have reconciliation with his father he wanted to see his father again and and so when they come back with Benjamin and he provides to them the sustenance that they needed he does something kind of tricky he puts a he puts his cup the silver cup the governor's cup he puts it in the sack of Benjamin he has filled their sacks with corn and 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 In Benjamin's sack, he put inside of it the silver cup, sent them along their way. And as we read from Genesis chapter 44, they're on their way back home to their father. He sends his servants out. His servants come to them and say, somebody has stolen a silver cup. They said, not us. Oh, yes. Somebody in this crowd has stolen the silver cup we don't have a silver cup you can check everything we've got and if you find it then you you have our permission to slay whoever did it that's how confident they were they would not make that kind of a misstep but they didn't know it was a setup it was a setup and when they came to that final sack which was benjamin's sack there was a silver cup in benjamin's sack of provision that required that benjamin be taken back To be with Joseph, which ensured that Jacob and Joseph would now have an encounter. And it was all to reconcile what was lost at the atrocity of the original sin. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, when you go through your life and discover that the cup is in your sack. And you don't know how it got there. And you don't know why it's there. And you wish it wasn't there rest assured that it will serve in some way or capacity to bring you back into connection with your heavenly father it will reconcile what was lost at the original sin you have to understand that don't Be shocked when something emerges in your life and you don't know where it came from and you don't know why it's there and it doesn't make any sense to you. Don't be shocked, but just go along the path and go along the journey and let things unfold and put your trust in God. 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 Hallelujah. Know that the Lord has you in the palm of His hand. Ah, Lord have mercy. I don't know what has emerged in your life without your knowing. I don't know what has emerged in your life that has caught you by surprise. I don't know what what has emerged in your life that you didn't realize when you planned things out. That you didn't see this one coming, but rest assured, God is up to something. We know that all things work together for the good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose. We know that all things work together for the good. Hallelujah. There are people sitting under the sound of my voice right now who have experienced things that you never planned on experiencing And you thought originally that it was for your demise, but God allowed it so that He could bring you into reconciliation with Him. And you wonder, well, why is that so important? Why do I need to be reconciled to God? Because you're lost without Him. Because you're hopeless without Him. You have, you have absolutely no hope for eternity without Him. I don't care how much money you have coming in. It doesn't matter how many people like you. It doesn't matter how high up whatever ladder you or your loved ones have climbed. If you don't have God in your life, you have nothing. Only what you do for Christ will last. If the stock market were to tank tomorrow, let's see how relevant... that portfolio is it passes away but what you do for Christ that's your hope that's your hope and and, and God is more interested in seeing us saved than winning a popularity contest with us he is more interested in seeing our souls saved In seeing us be stripped of the character flaws that are dooming our soul to damnation. And that's what suffering will do. When you find, when you open up your sack and the cup is in your sack. You talk about finding an altar. Oh, you'll find an altar. You talk about laying aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. Oh, you'll, you'll do that in a heartbeat. You talk about an old-fashioned repentance. You will not need a preacher to come beg you to repent. When you open up the sack and, oh, my word, the silver cup is in my sack. I have an issue in my life that is irreconcilable unless I go back. Unless I go back and have reconciliation. Hallelujah. You know, anybody ever heard of the USA Dream Team, 1992? It was the greatest basketball team ever assembled. Larry Bird, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan was the starting five. Back lineup was Scottie Pippen, Carl Malone, David Robinson, John Stockton, Clyde Drexler. The last two, Chris Mullin and Christian Laettner. I know a little something about it, too, the Dream Team. they were the best team ever assembled on the planet Now, granted Larry Bird and Magic Johnson were coming to the end of their career bird was he had back problems severely and Magic Johnson had just left the NBA uh, the that that year earlier and uh, and uh, Michael Jordan was in the prime of his career he was as 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 capable an athlete as he ever was And, and and the rest of them too and they took on the world and, and they were gonna win everybody knew they were gonna win but they had a coach named Chuck Daly and Chuck Daly was a, a, a masterful coach and he knew he knew something one he knew that as good as these guys were they had an Achilles heel and the Achilles heel was their ego and that they walked onto the international stage and played they 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 could walk onto that international stage and get beaten because of not taking it seriously And he he noticed something about them, too. He noticed that they were all determined to prove that they didn't have an ego. So they were were overcompensating and deferring each one to the other. They were almost scared to shoot the ball in practice. They'd have a chance to shoot, and they'd pass it off to another player. And, And he's looking at this, and he's like, these guys are not ready for international competition. As good as they are, there are some mental blocks that need to be addressed. So he brought in a group of college players who would have been the Olympic team, but that was the first year that they allowed the professionals of the NBA to represent the United States in the Olympics in basketball, in men's basketball. And so, so he brought in this assembled group of college players, and there were players who went on to have flourishing NBA careers. Chris Weber, Grant Hill, Jamal Mashburn, Steve Smith, Bobby Hurley. And, and they played against the USA Dream Team. And they played them off the court. They scrimmaged, and Chuck Daly wouldn't even allow the media into the room because he didn't want to embarrass the pros. But when they started playing, the college players were running the pros off the court, and and about the the, the, the pros were they weren't they weren't they didn't have chemistry. They were deferring too much to one another. Their ego was getting in the way, even when they were trying not to have an ego. They were trying to prove who was the most humble out of the mix. And, 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 and Coach Daly let this go on. And then when, when he started seeing they were catching on, he benched bench whoever was catching on. Michael Jordan sat out a majority of the second half. He said, no, we can't have Michael Jordan on the court. Jordan, you go sit on the bench. We're going to let these guys lose. He let them lose on purpose so that they would win when it counted. We have to have those experiences in our life to take off the rough edges and remove our ego and remove our pride and remove our envy and remove our lust and remove our, 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 our carelessness concerning the things of God. Remove the things that are standing between us and the Lord. And so this, this wise coach allowed them to enter into a losing situation so that they could win the gold. And that's exactly what the Lord will let happen in your life. He will let you lose sometimes so that you can win when it matters. He will let you come up against a struggle. This is why the Apostle Paul said, I had a thorn in my flesh. And he said, this thorn in my flesh was so severe that I went to the Lord in prayer. Now this man knows how to pray. He knows the power of prayer. He can pray and see blind eyes open. He has also prayed and caused eyes to be blinded. He is a man of prayer. He's a man of power. Paul knew. He's got a thorn in his flesh. Whatever that thorn was, we don't know. Could have been physical, spiritual, mental, emotional. We don't know. We just simply know that the apostle Paul had an abundance of revelation. And because of the abundance of revelation, it could have gone to his head. And he would have thought that he was some superhero theologian who was better than people around him. And he said, because of the abundance of revelation, God allowed a messenger of Satan to buffet me. And I had a thorn in my flesh. And I went to God and I said, all right, God, take this thorn from my flesh. And the Lord said, no. I can take that. Amen. I can take that. He means not yet. Well, Paul found out, no, he he meant no. He went a second time, and the answer did not change. He went the third time, and the answer did not change. But the Lord gave him explanation upon the third time that he prayed that caused him apparently never to pray the prayer again. And it was this, I'm not removing the thorn from your life. You're going to live with it. You're going to deal with it. You're going to cope with it. Because my strength is made perfect in weakness. See, Paul, I have shown you. Ladies and gentlemen, these epistles are full of mysteries that God revealed to the Apostle Paul. Behold, I show you a mystery, he said in 1 Corinthians 15. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And this mortal shall take on immortality. And this corruptible shall take on incorruption. And when that has happened, it shall be brought to pass. The saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be unto God who hath given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Be steadfast, movable always abounding in the work of the lord we understand that because of paul's abundance of revelation he explained to us that marriage don't be frustrated in marriage it's it's a picture of the divine husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and, and wives submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the lord he, 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 he revealed to us the mystery. You want to know why he revealed to us the mystery? Because God had given him abundance of revelation. But with the abundance of revelation comes a thorn in the flesh. A cup in the sack. A losing situation so you can win the gold. And, and Paul, when you get frustrated and you want to come back to me the 4th and the 5th and the 6th and the 7th and the 8th and the ninth time and it's still not change, understand this. My grace is sufficient for you. Glory to your holy name, O God. My grace is sufficient for you. And that's the Lord's message to every person that is in this room tonight, hearing me speak to you. His grace is sufficient for you. You know, the Bible refers to His grace in two ways. One, great, great grace, great grace. And then it refers to it as sufficient, sufficient grace. And we sing a song called Amazing Grace. Some days, God's grace is great. We, 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 we feel like we could remove mountains. Anybody ever have a day like that before you had your coffee? My Lord, have mercy. I don't even need my coffee today because God's grace is great. And then other days, you'd crawl into Starbucks. Oh, God, help me. I don't know if I can get through the next 20 minutes, let alone the day. In those days, His grace is still sufficient. But every day, His grace will amaze you. The Bible also refers to the wings of God, the wings of God. And this is what He said He said, I will cover you with my wings. Under His feathers shalt thou trust. And this, 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 listen to the wings that he talks about. He said, "They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength; they shall mount up with wings like as an eagle." Anybody ever had those days where you were just a wing, winging like an eagle? I don't think they use their wings like that, but whatever. You know what I mean? Wings like an eagle, great grace. But he didn't just have wings like an eagle. You know what he said to Jerusalem? He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would gather you like a hen would brood over her young. Chicken wings. Eagle's wings and chicken wings. He's got both. On the days where you feel like you can fly, he empowers you to fly. And on the days where you just need him to cover you up and hold you close, he'll do that too. Some days his grace is great, like an eagle's wing. Some days his grace is sufficient, like a chicken wing. And some days his grace is amazing. Every day his grace is amazing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So to everybody who doesn't know why the cup is in your sack, know that his grace is sufficient for you. To everybody who doesn't know why the thorn is in your flesh, understand that his grace is sufficient for you. To everyone who doesn't understand why this had to happen or why that had to happen or why the coach put you in a losing position, understand he's got a goal in mind. And he's going to bless you and anoint you and give you favor. Can you receive the word of the Lord tonight in the name of Jesus? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, let's praise him right now. Let's praise the Lord right now. Glory to his name, glory to his name. Glory to his name, glory to his name. name. Come on, let's stand to our feet right now and give him praise in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, precious Jesus. Thank you, precious Jesus. Come on, let's love the Lord together. Let's love Him. I want every individual right now who's going through something in their life that you can't seem to change, I want you to stop trying to change it and just trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Have you prayed about it? That He's heard your prayer? Now trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him hallelujah hallelujah you know what you know what i'm going to say this you may not feel happy right now trusting the lord that that's that's a very real possibility you may not feel happy right now trusting the lord you might even leave this room uplifted in your spirit by the word of God but but then frustration may likely come again in the next couple of days as you seek to learn how to trust in the Lord but I'm going to guarantee you in the Holy Ghost that if you'll trust him all the days of your life there will come a day where thanksgiving will flow from your soul (laughs) in such a way you won't be able to contain it (laughs) gratitude will well up within you you'll be so grateful that you trusted in God and not in the arm of your flesh you will be so grateful i want you to hear i want you to hear this preacher you will be so there will come a day where you will be so so grateful that you put your trust in the lord that you didn't act on your immediate whim that you didn't act on your hasty feeling but that you trusted him Glory to God. Glory to God. Could we do it right now? If, you, if you're wondering how to trust Him, could you just say, God, teach me how to trust you. Help me learn how to trust you. Help me, help me look at the examples set before me. All around this room are examples of people who have trusted the Lord. Is there anybody here thankful that they've trusted in the Lord? Come on, lift up your hand if you're thankful. When you could have quit, but you didn't because you trusted God. When you could have walked away when you could have turned around and you could have gave up but you didn't because you chose to trust in the lord his grace oh i feel his grace i feel winds of grace i feel the winds of god's grace come on we're going to sing a little bit and we're going to worship and we're going to let the winds of god's grace sweep over our soul right now come on let the winds of god's grace sweep over our soul right now oh hallelujah hallelujah Hallelujah, precious, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah precious, precious, precious Jesus Oh, for grace Glory To, to trust, trust Him all more. more Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus how, I how, how I trust how, how I prove Him more, him more. And oh, Jesus, 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 precious Jesus, Jesus. oh, for grace to To trust trust him, Him, oh, Oh, yes, tis so so sweet to trust.